questions about faith are sometimes, that if we hold them in, they're like that nightmare that we don't honestly talk about. And when we hold them in, they can erode our soul. Welcome to Candid, where we never settle for less than the truth. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Each week, we'll tackle tough issues, answer your hard questions, and take a candid look at the Christian faith. Today, I'm joined by an author, evangelist, and apologist whose journey from skepticism to faith has captivated millions. He's the acclaimed author of over 40 books, including The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for a Creator, and many more. He is a voice that resonates with seekers and believers globally. He is Lee Strobel. In this conversation, we talk about his latest thought-provoking work, Is God Real? Exploring the Ultimate Question of Life. So listen as we explore faith, the evidence for the Christian faith, and his personal transformation in Christ. Now, on to our candid conversation with Lee Strobel. Well, today we have a special guest and one who I think uh, many of you will be familiar with. It is Lee Strobel, uh, who's authored The Case for Christ, I think is an international bestseller Mm -hmm. many times over. And um, there's a a list of all the cases that uh, have come out here. How many have we done? Oh, golly. I don't know. We've done over 40 books, and a lot of them have the case uh, motif to them. Yeah, which is brilliant. I mean, it's it's easy to find and some really helpful kids' books, uh, The Case for Faith for Kids. Case for Christ for Kids, Case, uh, yeah. for, case, case for, for Miracles, Student Edition. Grace. Yeah, I love it. I love the, the concept. And, and and that, of course, comes from your background as an investigative journalist. Yeah. We have a fairly wide international audience. So for those who maybe aren't familiar with you, tell us a little bit about how your testimony came together and, sure. and put some of those pieces together for us. Yeah, my background is in journalism and law. I was a legal editor of the Chicago Tribune and a, a spiritual skeptic, an atheist uh, for uh, in that era of my life. Married a woman who I would describe as agnostic. She just couldn't put the puzzle pieces together, had a vague belief in God, but couldn't put everything into perspective to understand what that really means and have a relationship with God and so forth. And, right. and so um, we moved into to a condominium building near Chicago, and the, one of the neighbors was a Christian. And she was a nurse. She came over one day with a plate of cookies and uh, introduced herself to Leslie. They became really good friends, mm-hmm. and she was a strong Christian. She would answer Leslie's questions and have long discussions with her about faith issues. She brought Leslie to church, and um, then Leslie came up to me one day and gave me the worst news any atheist husband could get. <laughs> she, she said, I decided to become a follower of Jesus. And uh, I the freaked. gift of hospitality, yeah, Isn't that amazing. We don't. I don't think we give enough credit to that. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and um, so that's what prompted me over time to use my journalism training and legal training and mm-hmm. systematically investigate: is there any credibility to this thing? I thought I could disprove it in a weekend. Yeah, and it took me two years to investigate it until I realized that, uh, in light of the strength of the evidence that points so powerfully toward the truth of Christianity, it would have taken more faith to maintain my atheism than yeah. to become a Christian. Right. So that's when I put my faith in Christ and my life, like hers, began to change. A new journey. Uh, my values, my character, mm-hmm. my morality, my attitudes, my relationships, yeah. my worldview, my parenting. I mean, all these things over time began to change. 
and th- they've made a, a film about yeah. your life. Yeah, it's called The Case for Christ, and oh. um, stars Mike Vogel, who actually was a high school student when he lo- kind of lost his faith and read The Case for Christ and ended wow. up coming back to faith. And uh, I can say this because I didn't make the movie. They did, a, <laughs> they did a great job in the movie. Yeah. It, it's a powerful film, and you can find it on um, various streaming platforms. Yeah. Uh, you can get it for free, I'm sure, these days. It's been out since 2017, but it went all around the world. And I know in Australia, where you've um, yeah. uh, done a lot of work, um, yeah. there was a little church that uh, rented a movie theater and showed it, and 22 people came to faith. Oh, wow. Uh, so God's That's used amazing. it in remarkable ways. Oh, I love hearing that. That's such a powerful story mm-hmm. and powerful witness to so many in our world who yeah. come from that position. Of course, there's many who grow up in the church right. and then different experiences come, shape, mold them on the trajectory, but yeah. but many who come from a, a background of unbelief. And I love the whole case for model. Thanks. Well, you, you've got a new book out that doesn't follow the case <laughs> model. It's entitled, Is God Real? Exploring the Ultimate Question of Life. Tell us a little yeah. bit about Breaking the case model and then well, getting into this. This was the first time I've done all these books and, and my publisher came to me and they said, our tech people have discovered something extraordinary. I said, yeah. what? They said, we discovered that 200 times a second around the clock, yeah. someone on planet Earth is typing into a computer search engine. Basically, the question, is God real? And I said, oh, my goodness, I've got to do a book on that. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah. if, if there's that many people asking this question, then it needs to be addressed. And uh, so I've drawn from some of my earlier works and new interviews and mm-hmm. so forth to try to give a comprehensive view that looks at science, it looks at philosophy and history as well. Well, and I, I do. I love the model, which is, um, again, putting your skills as an investigative journalist to the test mm-hmm. here. I mean, in uh, chapter headings include the cosmos requires a creator. And then you've done an interview with William Lane Craig. Right. Um, the universe needs a fine tuner. Uh, Michael Strauss, Ph.D. DNA. It's all, you know, obviously, if you're looking for a position of uh, authority, I yeah. mean, you, they all have Ph.D. at the, right. at the end of their name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but I think this is just fantastic and, and walking people people through mm. the arguments that come forward. Yeah. Now here's my question. Yeah. Do you find that it is people are just looking for evidence? Mm. Or do you find that there's something deeper? Yeah. That the evidence doesn't really matter to them, even mm. if it was real. There's yeah. something else that's kind of buried along inside yeah, there. Yeah, I often find that um, people have spiritual sticking points, I call them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a sticking point could be a father wound, yeah. that they had a bad relationship with their father, and, mm-hmm. and therefore they don't have any interest in finding a heavenly father who was only yeah. going to hurt him more than the earthly father did. Mm-hmm. Some people may not even be aware of that dynamic. Um, it could be um, era of suffering that they went through, and they say, I can't believe in a good God if I've suffered this way. Yeah. And, um, so I think there's different kinds of sticking points that people have. I've sort of changed my approach through the years yeah. uh, because times have changed. And I'll give you an example. Uh, a lot of times I'll get in a conversation with someone who's not a Christian, and I'll say to them, if you could ask God, God, any one question, and you knew he'd give you an answer right now, yeah. what would you ask him? Mm. And often, 80% of the time, they would say some permutation of the question, well, if God is real, why is there suffering? Yeah. And I used to say, oh, well, let me tell you, and I'll give them a five-point sermon on why God allows <laughs> <Yeah>. suffering. <laughs> but I don't do that anymore. Yeah. They'll say, uh, I want to know, you know, where's God in the midst of suffering? And I say, well, wait a minute. 
of all the potential questions in the universe, why did you choose that one? Now they get personal. Now they say, because my mm-hmm. wife has just been diagnosed with cancer, where's God in that? Right or we lost a baby in childbirth five years ago. Where's God in that? Yeah. And I come to realize that what that person needs at that moment is not a five-point sermon in no. the evidence. They need me to sit down next to them, yeah. put my arm around their shoulder, to weep with them, to be Jesus to them in that moment. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's probably a time later on where the evidence will, you know, should be brought to bear and where an explanation logically can show the coexistence of God and the existence of suffering. But at that moment, That's they need they the personal yeah. touch of Jesus. Yeah. So it's a pastoral yes, approach. That's right. And I do wonder in our day and age if we're severely lacking in that. Mm-hmm. And I do want to talk a little bit about some of the research data that you put in your introduction. Just thinking about this Gen Z. So those yes. born between 1999 and 2015, they really lived through COVID yeah. as young people there's a severe amount of depression, anxiety. Uh, We've heard it when we go to our pediatrician and she says, I'm constantly dealing with anxiety and depression. Unlike I've ever dealt with it before, the statistics are there. So I know that's kind of the bad news. What's the good news? Yeah, you're right. And Generation Z, twice as many members of Gen Z will call themselves atheists compared to my generation. I love in the book you say, uh, it's no longer a dirty word to them. You know, it's like, it's just accurate. Yeah, it is. You know, Back when I was an atheist back in the 1970s, you never told someone you were an atheist. That's like saying, I'm a pedophile. You know, I mean, it it was so frowned upon that you you didn't breathe a word of it. But today, it's not only socially acceptable, it's socially laudable Mm -hmm. in a lot of places like college campuses Mm -hmm. and so forth. Mm -hmm. But there is good news. And one of the people I quote is Shane Pruitt, who's a friend of mine, whose Mm -hmm. ministry is to travel the country and to speak to groups of young people, high school and college age. And he told me, he said, Lee, in the last three years, I've seen more young people come to faith in Jesus Christ than in the previous 18 years of ministry combined. Wow. And he said, normally I'll wow. give an opportunity for people to receive Christ. And he said, in the old days, you know, you if, if 10% appeal. said yeah. yes, yeah. but now it's 40% wow. will receive Christ. Mm. So there is still a hunger. People mm. are still asking for this question, is God real? There's still this God-shaped void in their life, and yeah. they're looking for answers to these ultimate questions. Well, I've heard statistics, particularly in the Middle East, where when you saw the rise of ISIS, what you saw was... Uh, sort of nominal Muslims who looked at that and said, I'm not so sure that's what I believe. You yes, know? And yes. so what they have actually statistically trended towards atheism, which now you're at least a step closer to yeah. <laughs> being willing to listen to a, a message that's different. Right? Yes, yes. Whereas Islam would shout out the Christian gospel. Right. Uh, but atheism, you're now saying, OK, I'm I'm open to debate and, yeah. and and thinking through these things, yeah. which is a much more helpful uh, position and platform. Mm-hmm. Not that it can't happen the other way around. We know, of course, it does. But that's I found that really encouraging in your book. Um, and I know some other books that are coming out that are saying similarly. Yeah. Now, thinking of this from the evangelical perspective, yeah. and, and again, I think you, you mentioned it uh, in your book as well, you have this rise of deconstruction. Yes. Right. So so kids who were born in Christian homes claim to profess uh, faith in Christ at some point and their life is meeting some sort of conflict or mm-hmm. or or something's come up yeah. and they are saying, I no longer believe this. And yeah. I know you you have a, 
of course, the well-known story of uh, Charles Templeton. Yes. Essentially the first deconstructionist, you know, yeah. in, the, in the modern era, I think. Right. Uh, talk to us a little bit about yeah. that and those statistics that you're seeing from there. Yeah, you know, what's interesting. Uh, Tim Keller, the uh, pastor uh, in New York City who uh, passed recently, when someone would come to him, a young man would come from his congregation or he'd meet him and they'd say, yeah, you know, I used to believe I don't really anymore. I'm kind of deconstructing my faith. And, and Tim's response was always, he would just say to them, What's her name? <laughs> because so often there's a motivation yeah, there, and they're yeah. saying, you know, they, they may not uh, be it's overt like Solomon with it, or but something. Yeah, I've got yeah. this girlfriend, and frankly, I don't like the biblical teachings about premarital sexuality. And mm. um, if you're looking for an excuse not to believe, any excuse is good enough. Yeah. So I don't think it's unhealthy to ask questions. I think it's healthy to ask questions. I don't for think sure. we should shy away from that. Right. I deconstructed my atheism. Yeah, right. Know, yeah. And, and yeah. found faith. Um, so so God is not surprised by our questions. I think we want to encourage young people to ask the tough questions yeah. because, you know, when you're a kid, I don't know if this is true for you, but it was for me. You know, um, I'm, I'm a little kid. I'm in my bedroom by myself and I have a nightmare and I wake up and my heart's pounding and my I'm sweating and and um, um, my pulse is going and, yeah. and I'm scared to death. And, and so I run into my parents' bedroom. I jump into bed and they say, what's wrong? What's wrong? I say, oh, I had this horrible dream. They say, tell us about the dream. Oh, well, there was this monster under my bed and he had six eyes and five hands. And, and then you start to laugh because it sounds it's so silly, silly you sure. know, to be afraid of it. This is like questions about faith art sometimes, that if we hold them in, they're like that nightmare that we don't honestly talk about. Mm -hmm. And when we hold them in, they can erode our soul. Mm -hmm. um, but when we talk about them yeah. and we say, I got a question about God. Um, did Jesus really ever claim to be the son of God? Mm -hmm. can, is the resurrection really credible in the 21st century? All of a sudden, uh, the question loses its grip over you and you get into a mode of exploring answers. Yeah. And you know what? The difference between when I deconstructed my atheism back in the 70s uh, and early 80s and today is that back then there was virtually no resources yeah. available on right. the on the accessible level. Right. I mean, you had to I, travel to libraries. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I'm going to museums. I'm, I'm, I'm going to microfilm and microfiche. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm, I remember doing an interlibrary loan. I was looking for a book from the 1860s. And I, I did an interlibrary loan. It took like six months before they found it in some obscure library. It had rubber bands around it. Today, there's all yeah. kinds of great resources yeah, on the everyday accessible level that people can find answers. I think that will satisfy their heart and soul. And that's the thing that's just so baffling. We have so much access yeah. to information. And I love that just the way you put it in the introduction, right? So the 200 times a second around yeah. the clock, around the world, is God real? You'll get 3.7 billion results in two-thirds of a second, a digital tidal wave that generates more confusion than enlightenment. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, that's exactly. the thing is that we're going to the wrong places. Now, yes. now I mean, caveat, the Internet eventually will give you a right answer, but, yeah. but you're gonna you have to look, look for it. I actually asked artificial intelligence chat, whatever it is. I asked, GPT, that, yeah. is God real? And I got back this answer that was so, you know, well, on this hand and on the other hand, yeah, and right. you know, some people say this and some, it was worthless. Yeah, of course <laughs> it can't make a statement of absolute truth. Exactly. Okay. Talk us a little bit more through the book. So yeah. how did you come to break down these chapters? Were they built intentionally? I mean, as yeah. I go through it, I love it. I love the format of um, at the beginning of each section, you either tell a story from your own life or from someone else's story. And, it, you know, sometimes we forget 
the testimonies of others. Yeah. Sometimes I forget, you know, they, we, I go to church and yeah. it's, you know, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so and they've all grew up in a Christian home and that's just the life they live. But we forget stories like yours, yeah. stories of where God just yes. plucked someone out, yes. you know, from amongst and then set a new trajectory. Yeah. For the I think family. I've got like 12 bullet pointed stories in yeah. the introduction, yeah. just brief one paragraph yeah. about no. people. Some were meth addicts and right. some were yeah. Muslims and yeah. different life experiences, but they were all skeptics. And yet yeah. somehow God got a hold of them. Yeah. And, exactly. um, you know, so there is a good answer to the question. Is God real? Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> for me, the key was the resurrection of Jesus, uh, because I figured, well, wait a minute. If, if Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, and I came to the conclusion he did, his resurrection really affirmed that. That anybody can claim to be the Son of God, but Jesus claimed that, died, and then three days later rose from the dead. That's pretty good evidence he's telling the truth. Yeah. And so for me, that was really important. However... In the last 50 years or so, we've had a series of discoveries in science that make belief in God, I believe, more credible today than any time in history. Um, And I'm speaking of things like cosmology, the origin of the universe, physics, the fine-tuning of the universe, and biological information, DNA. Um, And it's just been the last 50 to 60 years that they've made these discoveries. I'll give you an example from cosmology, the origin of the universe, where the universe comes from. You know, scientists believed for centuries that the universe was eternal. It always existed. And when Christians would say, well, wait a minute, the Bible says there was a beginning. You know, they go, no, 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 it's eternal. Well, we've had a series of discoveries in the last 50 to 80 years that point powerfully toward the fact the universe had a beginning at some point in the past. And uh, Alexander Vilenkin, one of the most prominent cosmologists in the world at Tufts University, Mm -hmm. said the evidence is now in place that the universe had a beginning. And virtually every scientist accepts that. Well, then you think about that and you go, wait a minute, there's an argument for the existence of God that says whatever begins to exist has a cause. We now know that the universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe must have a cause behind it. Mm -hmm. And then you ask, okay, well, what kind of a cause can bring a universe into existence? Mm -hmm. Well, number one, it must be transcendent. Mm -hmm. Does it exist apart from creation? Mm -hmm. Must be eternal or timeless because it existed before physical time came into being. Must be immaterial or spirit because it existed before the physical world was created. Must be powerful given the immensity of the creation event. Mm -hmm. Must be smart given the precision of the creation event. Must be personal because he had to make the decision to create. Must be creative because, my goodness, just look at this yeah. universe right. must be loving or caring because he crafted a habitat so carefully for us to mm-hmm. flourish in. Mm-hmm. And then the scientific principle of Occam's razor would tell us there'd be just one creator. Right. So what do we got? Transcendent, eternal, spirit, powerful, smart, personal, creative, loving, unique. That's a description of the God of the Bible. Yeah. And I'm telling you, Jonathan, if I were an atheist today, I would come to the conclusion that God exists just based on the evidence of cosmology. That's just me speaking. But I find it so powerful, and Mm. I've read on all sides of this issue, and I'm telling you, there is no good argument against it. Well, and I've seen, even in recent days, sort of, you know, Dawkins has been kind of fumbling around trying to get out of that, you know, and and it seems like, you're right, the evidence and everything's sort of shifting over, and he's trying to say, well, there's this new theory, matter and antimatter, and and, and the audiences are laughing at him, because it's like, you're trying to define nothing, you can't even do it. You know, exactly. It's, it's, it, I, it's fascinating. Yeah. Now, on top of that, in terms of thinking of evidence, yeah. I, I always find it fascinating that most of the academic community 
has no problem in saying that there was a historical Christ. Yeah. Um, and I know this is kind of, uh, some of this is uncovered in your book. Yeah. I think uh, until I met my friend John Dixon in Australia a number of years ago, I always thought, well, all of the scientific and academic community don't believe in any of this. And he says, no, they do. Yeah. They actually, they, they have no problem saying yeah. that. Of course, they will come to a the wrong conclusion, right. but but the, the evidence uh, of all of that they is seems to be out of the debate. Yeah, Doctor Gary Habermas, who's probably the leading expert in the world on the resurrection, is uh, preparing and, and currently writing and publishing a, I think a five thousand page defense of the resurrection of Jesus. And I just read an excerpt from it, and in it he he quotes a lot of skeptics who are in the scientific and historical community who can see that Jesus didn't only live, but he was a healer and he was an expert. Exorcist, and they say that is historically kind of undeniable mm. about him. Mm. Now they can try to explain that away, sure. you know, but that's pretty important stuff to be yeah. able to concede that yeah. okay, there was a Jesus, and he was a healer, and he was an exorcist. Yeah. Now I notice you have a little piece of paper over there with a pyramid in it, yeah. which I see in your book. Yeah. Do you want to do you want to walk us yeah. through that? This is sort of your apologetics pyramid. Yeah, this is kind of fun. Um, back when I was a, a pastor at a church in Chicago, I preached one Sunday on the evidence for the resurrection, yeah. and um, I'm greeting people after the service, and a guy comes up to me and he said, "Hey, I'm an atheist, and uh, what you said today is really interesting." He said, "Could we get together and have coffee and talk about it?" And I said, "I'd love to, but I'm leaving the country tomorrow. I'm going to be gone." for quite a while. But and I saw a friend of mine there. I said, my friend Chad, he'll be glad to get together with you. Well, Chad was a seminary student at the time. He's now, by the way, a, a PhD in philosophy of religion. He's written, I don't know how many books. I mean, he's a leading expert on uh, philosophy. Um, but anyway, Chad Meister comes over and uh, he said, yeah, I'd love to get to, why don't you come over to my apartment on Friday night and we'll have dinner and talk about it. Yeah. So he's thinking to himself, how do I present I mean, we're starting kind of at a very basic level. How do I present the case for the existence of the God of the Bible? And he imagines in his mind a pyramid. Mm. Um, and he said, if I start at the broadest question, which is what is truth, mm. and then kind of move up from there and look at uh, possible worldviews. There's mm. only three possible worldviews. There's right. theism, there is a God, atheism, there is no God, or polytheism, yeah. or pantheism, rather, that everything is God. Mm. And uh, so we can examine those. That, an analysis of that, when you use the grid of livability and logic, Frankly, it eliminates atheism and eliminates pantheism. And so you're left with theism. And mm -hmm. how do we know that theism is true? And then it goes to revelation. How can we trust the, the Bible, especially the New Testament? Mm -hmm. And then it goes to resurrection. This, this pyramid is coming to a point yeah. to the resurrection of Jesus. Did he really return from the dead and thus prove he's the son of God? And then the peak is the gospel itself. Mm -hmm. So he sits down with this guy at seven o'clock on a Friday night uh, to have dinner. And then they start going through the pyramid. And what is truth? Well, truth is, whatever corresponds to reality. Mm. It's not preferences. It's not opinions. It's whatever corresponds to reality. And he talked about that, and he moved up the pyramid with this guy, and by 11 p.m., that guy had put his faith in Jesus wow. Christ. Wow. And so, Chad later, uh, as a, uh, after he got his PhD and everything, actually wrote a book called Building Belief, where he goes mm. through this pyramid. And so, in my book, I interview Chad about it, and we spend a chapter kind of going up that pyramid and demonstrating that the most logical, livable, and logical belief is Christianity.
Amazing. Yeah. I'm so proud of him. You know? I, I, I was going to say, you have to have a PhD after you put all that together oh my you know, gosh. And, and present the arguments helpfully. And yeah. <laughs> well, to have a volunteer in a ministry as a pastor yeah. who then goes on and becomes, a, um, I think he was vice president of the Evangelical Philosophical Society. Wow. I mean, he's a very prominent philosopher. Yeah. I think that's what every pastor wants to see, people yeah. coming to faith and then putting their faith in, and their giftedness into action yeah. and making a difference for Jesus. Now, I think most people, of course, are familiar with your name. Those who are in churches have read your books. I think the the theory or the thought would be your books are mostly read by Christians mm. who, you know, are maybe looking for presenting the case to their unsafe friends or whatever. Yeah. But the statistics are actually young mm. and seems like outside the church. Yeah, Talk to us about that. And then I want you to help us because uh, I know... A lot of the people listening will have some young person in their life who is, to Keller's point, either chasing some things of the world. Yeah. You know, the book, has, uh, Case for Christ, um, has taken on a life of its own, gone around the world, millions yeah. of copies. And and I get great stories back from people who started as a non-believer and read the book. I'll give you one quick one. Right after the book came out, uh, within weeks, um, I got a letter from an amateur astronomer. He said, you know, I went to Barnes & Noble to buy the latest astronomy magazine. And I sat down on a bench to leaf through it, and I sat on something. I pulled it out, and it was the Case for Christ. And I flipped through it, and I thought, I'm an atheist. I don't believe this stuff. And he said, I threw the book down, and he said, it was like a voice inside him. He said, you need to read that book. So he he picked up the book. He bought it. He read it. He came to faith, and he wanted to tell me about it. So I actually became friends with him, and I actually brought him to the publisher to speak to the people who are on the staff of the publisher to encourage them and show how God uses printed material to bring people to faith. And to this day, he retired not long ago, and he's part of a Baptist church in Kentucky. He's still living his faith out. But the funniest story uh, of somebody coming to faith through the book, um, I got a phone call one day and uh, I said, uh, hi, this is Lee. And the voice says, uh, is this Lee Strobel? I said, yes. And the voice said, this is evil. And I thought, Satan has gotten my phone number. How, how is this? Is, can he do that? Is that possible? He said, no, it's evil Knievel. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so evil different told, spelling. Yeah, the different spelling. So evil Knievel told me his story. He said, and I knew the background. He, he was a womanizer. He was a drunk. He was a, a partier. He was, um, uh, my goodness, he lived a, a sinful life. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a woman in every town. A gambler. Mm-hmm. And, um, but he said, I was standing on the beach in Florida where he lived. And he said, God spoke to me. Mm-hmm. He said, I didn't hear it through my ears. It was like inside of me. And the voice said, Robert, which is his real name, Robert, I've saved you more times than you'll ever know. Now you need to come to me through my son, Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he said, I was shocked. I, I didn't know. I don't know. Who is Jesus? I don't, I don't really even know who Jesus is. So he's thinking, who's the only Christian I know? Frank Gifford, the sportscaster, sure, yeah. Pathy Lee Gifford's husband. Yeah. So she calls up Frank, said, Frank, I just had this experience with God. I, I, what do I do? Who's Jesus? And Frank said, um, read the case for Christ. That'll kind of explain the whole thing. So evil can evil's wife goes out, gets him a copy of the case for Christ. He gets it. He reads it. Anyway. Long story short, he has a radical conversion to Christ, Mm. 180 degree Mm. change in him. He is a new person. It is probably the most radical change in anybody I'd ever witnessed. And um, 
He wanted to be baptized so the world would know that he'd become a Christian. So he called up Robert Schuler, who back then, the Crystal yeah, Cathedral, sure. he had a world yeah. global television show. Yeah. And he said, I want to be baptized in church. Well, Schuler said to himself, I evil can evil certainly not a christian so he flew out to florida to meet with him and he oh my goodness he is it's born true. again wow. he is redeemed wow. so he brings him to be baptized and robert Schuler's son was going to preach that day and they're going to baptize evil can evil and he looks out at the congregation and he tells his story and then he looks at people do you know jesus have you met jesus has he changed your life and it was such a childlike yeah innocent yeah. sincere expression of how God had changed his life and mm. appealing to people mm. that mm. Um, the pastor ripped up his sermon. Heartfelt. Yeah. yeah and yeah. said, look, if, if you want to come this, I don't think that church ever had an altar call. <laughs> it, it, he said, if you want to come up right now and receive Christ, be baptized on the spot, come up. 700 people came wow. up in two services. Wow. And, and Christianity Today carried an article about it. It was like Pentecost broke Yeah, out. right. And um, so I got to know Evil uh, quite well in the later years of his life. And, and we would chat. He would call me up about once a week and we'd, we'd chat about things. And and at his, he died uh, maybe a, a year and a half or so later. And um, mm. at his request, if you see his tombstone, it says, believe in Jesus Christ. Mm. And I go, there is one of the most unlikely likely converts right. Right. that I think I could ever see wow. is a guy like Evil Knievel who um, bent his knee, received forgiveness, mm. and, and what a testimony to the grace of God mm. that could save the likes of Evil Knievel. Yeah. And uh, what does that say about the rest of us? You right. know, right. The, the door to heaven is wide open to yeah. all who yeah. come into re- in repentance and faith. Yeah. And maybe if you just let's think about uh, the parent, the grandparent who's just heartbroken over yes. their the young person in their life, or it could be the other way around. Yeah. Maybe it's a young person whose parent or grandparent is still lost. Yeah, a word to them, maybe. Um, I'm sure many people do. They go and buy your book and yeah. they give it to the person yeah. and they say, "You've got to read this." Yeah, some will, some won't. Yeah. You know, that's a little bit out of our control. Yeah. It is. And uh, I think the key thing, you know, so many young people who grow up in the church and make a profession of faith, they go off to college, they come back at Thanksgiving, say, yeah, I don't believe it anymore. And I think a couple things. Number one, don't panic. Yeah. Don't panic. It is. Uh, keep in mind that if they're at a secular university, all of the forces are pulling them away from their faith, mm-hmm. and um, they will be lauded for expressing a, a belief in atheism mm-hmm. versus an, a, an authentic belief in Jesus Christ. So um, understand that. Number one. Number two. Don't mm-hmm. stop praying for them. Pray yeah. for them fervently. You know, it's interesting. When you read the account of Jesus' death on the cross, he prayed for non-believers. Mm-hmm. Until his final gasps before he died. Mm, You know, the imperfect tense of the Greek suggests that he didn't just say it once, but he kept repeating it during the torture of the crucifixion. Mm -hmm. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Mm -hmm. So he's praying for non-believers, people so depraved they're torturing to death the Son of God. Until his final gasp on the cross. And so we need to pray for our friends and for our family members and so forth who are outside the faith right now um, to continue to pray for them. I met a guy who came to faith in one of the first Billy Graham rallies. What was that? 1960s, probably Maybe 50s, earlier. late 50s. 50s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he had a brother who was uh, Ivy League educated attorney, very successful patent attorney in Los Angeles, who was an atheist. Mm-hmm. And he tried sharing Jesus with his brother and his brother shut him down, didn't want to hear about it. And he said, I prayed for my brother mm-hmm. for 48 years mm-hmm. and 348 days. 
and he came to faith in the end. He had given him a copy of the case for Christ. It sat on the guy's bookshelf for years. He didn't open it, but then he got cancer. Mm -hmm. And then he opened the book and he began to realize this is Christianity is not based on wishful thinking. It's not based on legend, make believe or mythology. It's based on a solid foundation of truth. And on his deathbed, he came to faith in Christ. So I'd say pray for Mm -hmm. the son or daughter who says they're deconstructing their faith. And then I would, I would say, you know, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to have doubts, you know, but one of the key things is what's motivating you can, and you know, maybe it's something you don't even want to talk about right now, but ask yourself, honestly, what is motivating you? Is it something you want to indulge in that is worldly and that the Bible would uh, prohibit? Mm. And therefore you want to find reasons not to believe. I'm just saying, I'm just asking the question, Mm. or maybe it's just an authentic sense of doubt, or maybe you're like the 40% of Americans who believe that science disproves the existence of God. So I would say to them, you know, if you could, don't just have a general sense that eh, I don't believe. Write down, yeah. crystallize it. What are the objections you have? Number yeah. one, I don't believe because mm. this. And when you write them down, now you can investigate them. Now you can check them out. Mm. And, uh, you know, my book is God Real covers uh, two of the biggest objections. If God is real, yeah. why is there suffering? suffering? And if God yeah. is real, why does he seem so hidden? Yeah. Those are the two biggest ones out there. I also did a book called The Case for Faith that deals with the top eight objections that are mm. raised by skeptics. Uh, where it's not me talking, but I go out and I yeah. seek uh, testimony, so to speak, from leading scholars and experts with yeah. PhDs in this area. So I think too often parents uh, freak out and they scold and they get into uh, despair over yeah. it. And you know what? I wrote a book um my only novel, my book of fiction. My my daughter's a novelist and quite good uh, fiction writer. Right. She said, Dad, you got to write a fiction book like John Grisham, a legal thriller. So I did. And nobody read my book. It was a big disaster. Nobody bought my book. Um, but it, it's, it's almost like uh, somebody reading half of my book and slamming it shut and saying, that's Strobel. He's a terrible novelist. He didn't tie up the loose ends of the plot. He didn't resolve the tensions between the characters. Is there? I'd say, wait a minute. You didn't read the end of the book. Right. You got to read the whole book. Yeah. And I would say to someone whose son or daughter is expressing skepticism about faith now, I would say, you know what? We're not at the end of the book. You know, history has not been consummated. Jesus mm-hmm. has not returned yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is time, we hope, and um, let the process play out a little bit. Give your son or daughter some ability to be able to ask these questions and really seek after answers to satisfy their heart and souls. Because yeah. I believe if they do, they're going to find something that is going to convince them that this uh, their faith in Christ would be well-placed. Mm-hmm. Well, Lee Strobel, it's been such a pleasure to have you. Is God Real? Exploring the ultimate question of life. I hope you all would order your copy now and um, think about the person in your life who you think would benefit from that. Great questions, great interviews. Such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much. Great to meet you. Pleasure. Thanks, Lee. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Don't forget to connect with our social media pages on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And subscribe to Candid Conversations on your favorite podcast platform so that you never miss an episode. While there, please leave a review. It helps people find us. As always, thank you for listening to and sharing this episode.